This program is not censored. Consider yourself warned. Want to advertise on this podcast? Email sponsorshiplollipop at gmail.com. Lights, camera, action. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Table Reads, the podcast where we take scripts that have never been filmed and read them so that you might experience the joy of terrible writing that Hollywood has tried to deny you. Your hosts on this tour of unproduced dreck are Sean McBee and me, Trevor Thompson. We've written enough terrible nonsense together and apart that it should keep this show running forever. For now, we're happy to just keep it running uh, for the rest of the time that we're recording tonight. Time? Oh no! Look did what you, he did. Did you say time? Yes. Time. I, I don't get it. What are you? What are you referring to? Time travel. Yeah, we're doing that right yes, now. Yes, we're traveling through time. Yeah. With Back to the Future, time is an illusion. Lunchtime, time doubly, doubly so. so. Yes. Yes. That is a we're different back. movie. We're back. We're back. We're back. Isn't that the second one? Yeah. Do we make it? Are we back? We're back. What, do they become assholes or something? <laughs> they certainly talk like assholes now. You know, it's it's funny. But yeah, folks. Even though he has Parkinson's, Michael J. Fox of 2015 looked a lot better than Marty McFly of 2015. Yeah. Yeah, they really made him like... Well, because Marty McFly isn't an actor. That, that does very well for himself. Marty McFly, I don't even want to know what Marty does for a living. I just know he's depressed because he's not a rock star. Well, well he, uh, he works for that Japanese guy. Yeah, but what? Doing what? Like, what is his job? Getting fired. Yeah. His whole, jo- <laughs> his whole job <laughs> is to get fired. Mark Ferrari! You yeah. are fired! <laughs> Read my facts! But yeah, folks, we're doing... Uh, Back to the Future. So, uh, when last we left off, um, Doc had just demonstrated time travel to Marty for the first time um, by zapping his pet monkey Shemp two minutes into the future rather than just one. And Marty was like, oh man, we should totally gamble. Yeah. (laughs) Like already on this they let's, act, let's well, send today's racing results back to the monkey back with the monkey to yesterday so that we can be billionaires um even though back then i didn't know that any of this was possible so when i find the monkey with that scrap of paper i'm not going to think anything of it what i'm saying is i'm really really bad at planning out time fraud Time fraud. That was the original title for the movie. It was not. No. Um, but uh, yeah, that was uh. Back to the Future. That name doesn't even make any sense. You know I'm a Hollywood producer type. I'm stupid. I don't know anything. Listen, Tannen, you butthead. Uh, that was Ned Tannen, right? Ned Tannen. Yeah. Who's Who's the guy that you're talking about? His name isn't Tannen. He's not the head of the studio? He didn't share a name. Who's the guy that thinks Back to the Future? I don't remember his name. It's probably Ned Tannen. No, it's not Tannen. I would remember if his name was the fucking same as Biff's. Dude. 
the thing you apparently missed on all of those things you don't know about Back to the Future, Biff is named for the head of Universal Studios. Well, it wasn't that guy. Okay. It was Sid something. Oh, Sid Scheinberg. Yes, that's the guy. But uh, Ned Tannen had some weird demand that they were like, you know what, we should just name the, <laughs> the, the bully, the idiot bully after him. And that he- doesn't sound right because... They didn't have a studio at all when, when they, they wrote, wrote it. this in 1981. Biff probably, does, Biff probably Biff doesn't have a last name in this script. Yes, he does. What is it? Tannen. Well, he's named after Ned Tannen, Sean, so you figure it out. I mean, Universal was the last studio they went to. Listen. I think your trivia is a little off. It isn't. I think it's flawed. I think no. someone else no. saw a coincidence no, they, and attributed it to... Bob Gale and Zemeckis both are on record as saying many times, Ned Tannen, Biff Tannen is named for Ned Tannen. Anyway, why, uh, why, uh, why dwell on this? Why get away from your microphone and start looking stuff up to prove that I'm right? fine it's just a podcast there's no one listening it's my podcast as you said at the end of the last episode all right i wouldn't actually pull that shit do you guys want to hear this song because sean's got something to do i love this song script that Biff's last name is is Tannen. It was Tannen. It said when they introduced him. Really? Tannen, Tannen. Maybe this isn't the first draft. It says first draft on the first page. With the date. I read it out loud. Yeah. Anyway. Let's get to this. Oh, okay. What? He is named after Ned Tannen, um, but it's because they had had a run-in with him previously on I Want to Hold Your Hand, and they didn't like him. And they decided not to change it when they got to Universal, I I guess. I guess. So. Oh, yeah, they did fucking, they had a horrible experience with I Want to Hold Your Hand. Not a good movie, by the way considering how fucking ambitious it is. I mean, the stuff that Zemeckis ended up doing with Forrest Gump with the stock footage of stuff and, you know, they they tried it then and it wasn't uh, wasn't the best. Ready to dive back in? I certainly am. I was before you got all. Okay, so um at the at the end here, um Marty had just uh, surreptitiously switched the polarity to the minus position when Doc was planning on sending Shemp 24 hours into the future. Shemp is his monkey. Yes. So uh, Marty's going to sneakily send Shemp 24 hours into the past, which should should result in some really hilarious hijinks when there's two monkeys around and, and Professor Brown doesn't know why. 
This was the 80s, back when the only thing that would make your movie that has a monkey in it better is if you had two monkeys. Holy shit, did America love a fucking monkey sidekick in the 80s. You know, uh, it's really surprising this movie didn't have tits all over it. Michael Jackson wanted a monkey sidekick in the 80s so fucking bad. He had one. Well, he got one, yeah, but I mean... And it was a chimpanzee. It's the same thing, Sean. His name was Bubbles. He... He had Bubbles, the chimpanzee, and Emmanuel Lewis. I mean, that, that guy had a thing for primates. Okay, I knew there was a, a racist joke in there somewhere. That's not racist! Humans are primates! <laughs> oh, okay, I guess that's a good point. But he's a tiny primate, like a like a chimpanzee. Yeah, and a spirit chucker, I know what you're saying. Alright, so, uh... Trevor, he's <laughs> way too short to throw a spear. He is the spear. They chuck him <laughs> over the wall. Are you ready to do this now? Come on, let's fuck Yeah, up. I was waiting for you to get all those bad jokes out of your system. Yeah, because they're so important. Alright, so... Shemp is waiting, Sean. Beep, 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 Marty's beep. being all sneaking an asshole. Interior, maybe. <laughs> Sorry. The instant I start. Right into the mic. I didn't do it right in the mic. Sounded like it. Interior, maybe. <coughs> That's what it would sound like right in the mic, right when you start. That's what that sounds like. Just to clarify. I'm the sound effects guy. I have the sound effects over here. Don't I'm going to piss in your face. Are you? Because, the, well, you know, don't worry about me, buddy. Your plutonium chamber's empty, okay? Take care of that. Interior, main laboratory. Professor Brown is looking for something on a table. Stop snorting! Professor Brown is looking for something on a table near the window. He finds it. A micro-cassette recorder. He hurries back into the time machine room. Can you turn that down a little? I'm going to turn it off, actually. We need the ambiance of the lab. Interior, time machine room. Professor Brown locks the door behind him and then gives the micro-cassette recorder to Marty. Take this. Stand at the panel and read off the radiation levels. I want to have a record of what happens here. Be sure to tell me when we reach 85 rads. Rads. It should be 88 rads. Marty takes his position at the appropriate panel. Brown sets up the stool and places Shemp upon it. Did Come he get, on! Wait, did he get a new stool? A new stool, I guess, yeah. I got a new stool. <laughs> Come on, Shemp, this won't hurt a bit. The professor takes his place at the reactor. Shemp is between him and Marty. He doesn't notice the polarity switch. Bum, bum, bum. Neither does the doc. We learned that, by the way, in the last episode, the, the polarity switch. I, a very handy thing. I yeah. already explained it. Yes, very handy. It's almost like a plot device with a fucking remote control. The, the, listen to how this is phrased, though. The professor takes his place at the reactor. Shemp is between him and Marty. He doesn't notice the polarity switch. Why do we care if the monkey notices the polarity switch? <laughs> He's the professor. Yes. Here we go! He throws a few switches. Equipment hums to life. Now he cautiously begins pulling the reactor rope. Marty begins reading off meters into the recorder. Radiation level, 10 rads. Stabilization coefficient, 0.43. 16 rads. Coefficient, 0.44. 37 rads, 0.46. 51 rads, 0.47. This is turning into the Star Wars again. 73 (laughs) rads, 0.47. Suddenly, the door is kicked open by NRC agents, Reese and Foley, along with police and other agents. They leap into the room with drawn 38s. 
Everybody freeze! NRC! Get back! Jesus Christ, it's a goddamn reactor! Reese point, points his gun at Professor Brown. You! Shut it down! Now! No! Get out! I'm in the middle of a very important... I'm in the middle of an experiment! Brown makes no effort to move away from the reactor. Get that down a little bit. Brown makes no effort to move away from the reactor. Rather, he pulls the rope a slight bit more. Foley fires the professor! The noise startles Shemp, who jumps off his stool. <laughs> professor Brown takes the bullet in the upper chest. He staggers back, still holding the rope. And as he falls, he pulls the rope as far as it will go. Oh my goodness. Professor! Glances at the meter. Oh my god! Release the rope! It's 4,200 rads! That's so rad. <laughs> what? That's Reese. Release the rope! The incredible din of the equipment makes the screaming virtually inaudible. Marty rushes toward the professor, but Foley immediately levels his gun at him. Freeze! Marty freezes. He's standing right under the focusing lens. He raises his hands. Professor Brown is lying on the floor, his hand still on the rope. His grip relaxes, and the rope is released. The time beam engulfs Marty. This time, it's bright white. Reese and Foley are dumbfounded. Marty looks up. Marty's POV of an intense white light. Then, suddenly, everything goes black. And with the blackness comes dead quiet. Said someone who's... Stop that. And then with the darkness comes dead quiet. Writes someone who's never seen a movie with black people. Professor? Hello? A match is struck, and Marty looks around and finds himself in what appears to be a storeroom. Interior, storeroom, Marty, night. Marty caught... This music's not good here anymore. No. Fucking read it! Maybe I don't want to. Marty cautiously looks... Uh, it's like a real quiet scene. He's trying to figure out where he is. Marty cautiously looks and walks around, almost tripping over an old chair. There's some dusty furniture and crates in the room. Marty lights another match and makes his way to, to the door. It's in the same place as the door in the time machine room, because this is the time machine room. As it once was. Marty tries the door. Locked. Damn! He goes to the window and opens it. We can hear the sound of muffled traffic. Marty climbs out the window. Exterior, rear of Orpheum Theater building, night. Marty comes out of the third story window onto a fire escape and descends. Just as he drops into the alley below, he's hit by a pair of headlights. A large truck is barreling toward him. Marty presses himself up against the wall and, it, and the speeding truck passes, narrowly missing him. Marty sighs relief, then notices the sign on the door he's standing next to. Wilson's Cafe, rear entrance. Marty tries the door. It opens. Marty is surprised at this. Nevertheless, he enters. Interior, Wilson's Cafe, night. Marty walks in. Yes, this is Wilson's Cafe, all right. The dumb line. Hey, since when do you open it? Marty stops short. Things are not the same. Dick isn't behind the counter. Instead, there's a waitress, about 30. If there's going to be lyrics, it needs to be like, Dude, you got to get over that shit. Come on, it's low. You're going to be tripping up every time there's lyrics? It's a fucking soundtrack. 
just a little lower, dude. It's super low. I think none of my headphones. I, I think your headphones are fucking weird because stuff that like when we had the problem with Jimmy with the the buzzing, it was really quiet in in my ears and in the final mix. There's something I gotta I gotta fucking I gotta fuck with that thing later because I guess so. Um, I don't sound loud to me though. You sound fine. You're louder than me actually. Um, I mean, on the board you are. There's a waitress about thirty. Everything is shining clean. The fixtures look newer but older. The prices are different too. Roast beef sandwich, thirty cents. That sounds fucking awesome, right? <laughs> Ice cream sundae, fifteen cents. Oh man, I get diabetes so fast. <laughs> diabetes. And the customers, men in double-breasted suits and hats, women with long skirts, not one female in pants, and hairstyles like Marty has never seen. Marty stares open-mouthed, walking around, taking it all in. A chubby little boy of five in pajamas is playing on the floor with toy trucks, as you do at a diner. Now Marty notices the waitress is staring at him with curiosity and suspicion. You want something, kid? Marty decides to sit down at the counter and act like he belongs here. Uh, yeah, give me a tab. What? A tab. Kid, I can't give you a tab unless you order something. People at the counter are looking at him, especially at his silver Porsche jacket. Marty notices that the man next to him is that drinking coffee. Uh, coffee! She pours a cup and serves him. Starts sucking his dick. That's what I mean. Did something happen to you, kid? I mean, you've been lost in the woods or something? Huh? Marty looks at, a, at the bowl of sugar cubes on the counter. Say, have you got any sweet and low? Sweet and what? Her suspicions aroused. And her vagina. <laughs> she takes the coffee away. Maybe you'd better pay for this first. Sure. Marty pulls out his wallet and hands the woman a $20 bill from the future. Yeah. Her eyes nearly fall out of her head. A 20? What do you think this is? A bank? I can't break a 20. He reuses yeah. that line later. <laughs> In Roger Rabbit. What do you think this is? A bank? Yeah, what do you give What him? do I look like? A bank? Yeah. He hands him the, the RK Maroon check. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, what do you think this is? A bank? I can't break a 20. Say, what's a kid your age doing with all this money? Marty takes the bill back. Look, maybe I better talk to Dick. Is he around? Dick. Dick who? The guy who runs this place. I run this place. What happened to Dick Wilson? Dick Wilson? Dickie Wilson? <laughs> Dickie Wilson runs this place? Oh, that's a laugh. Everybody at the counter starts laughing. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Freak me out or something? The man sitting next to him reacts. Freak. You from some circus? Is that what all that writing on your clothes means? Now the little boy runs up to the counter. Mommy, I'm hungry. Just take a candy bar, then go to bed, Dickie. Marty reacts and stares at the five-year-old. Dickie? That's Dickie Wilson? That's Dick Wilson, yep. Marty looks at him and he grabs a baby Ruth from the candy counter. Then Marty spots the calendar behind the cash register. In big black numbers, it clearly reads... 1952! With an exclamation mark for some reason. <laughs> it says that, actually. 1952, isn't it? <laughs> the exclamation mark's even in quotations. In the quotes. 1952? This is 1952! 
You met him in the past. <laughs> Holy shit. You know what this means? I've gone back in time 30 years. 30 goddamn years. I haven't even been born yet. I'm calling the cops. It's probably a good call. Yeah. Um, but even as she goes to the phone, Marty bolts out the front door. Exterior, street, night. Marty stares in astonishment at the sight before him. Oh, now we should do Mr. Sandman. Marty stares in astonishment at the sight before him. The run-down Monroe Avenue that he knew is now a bustling, thriving business district. Traffic of 1940s and 50s cars pulses through the street, and pedestrians wander about. The storefronts that were boarded up are now shops doing profitable business. Pedestrians eye Marty cautiously as they walk past. Curiously. Oh, pedestrians eye Marty curiously as they walk past, but Marty is too panic-stricken to notice them. Now he sees the Orpheum Theater, the marquee is lit up, and the place is obviously a first-class movie house. The flashing marquee advertises John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara, The Quiet Man, in full color. That shot was actually in the finished movie. Damn it! Marty sees a pedestrian with a newspaper. He grabs it away from him and looks at the date. 1952! Damn it! He throws the paper down in disgust and runs down the street. How fucking rude. (laughs) (laughs) Grabs someone's paper, damn it, and throws it on the ground and runs off. Try, boy. try doing that around here, boy. Oh, you said boy. On the street, Marty stops and looks at the license plate on a parked car. Once again, there's the year. 1952! Damn it! Hold on, let me look for it a little bit. Yeah, it's just 40 more pages of him running around looking yeah. at things and going, 1952! Damn it! Yeah, literally, I'm scrolling, I'm seeing the same shit. Marty runs off. Exterior, telephone booth, street... The telephone booth still exists. Marty's in a phone booth, frantically tearing through the phone book. He finds the page he's looking for. Insert phone book. Marty's finger goes down a list of Browns, coming to rest at Brown, Emmett L., 788 West Spruce, Madison, 3489. A big pen circles the name and number. Back to shot. Marty reaches into his pocket. He has a nickel and three pennies. Damn it! He picks up the receiver and pumps the switch hook. Operator. Operator, listen, this is an emergency. I have to make this call, but I don't have a dime. All I got is a nickel, but you gotta connect me. Sir, it only costs a nickel. What? Local calls cost five cents. What number do you want? Marty looks at the sign on the phone. Local calls, five cents. Oh, right. Um, Madison, three, four, eight, nine. Five cents, please. (laughs) Marty deposits his nickel. I don't know why I'm doing the operator as a male. This is the 50s. Oh, were you doing it as a male? I didn't even notice. The number rings several times. I'm sorry, there's no answer. Operator, what's today's date? March 11th. What year? 1950. Damn it! <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he slams down the totally receiver. See Michael J. Fox doing it too. He slams down the receiver, then tears a page out of the phone book and runs down the street with it, like a lunatic. Exterior, residential street, Marty, night. Marty runs down this residential street, tired, breathless, exhausted. If only he had a car. Yeah, right. He leans against... Okay, so actually, I want to address something that this script's getting really good um, temporal physics-wise. The more 
that uh, Marty, uh, the more that Doc would pull on the uh, thing to release the plutonium, mm-hmm. the further back you could go. He pulled it all the way, sending Marty back as far as he possibly could. Which means that in this world, you can't travel farther back in time than when a time than than when the exists than when the technology to do so exists. I don't follow. So, this is the year that Doc built the time machine. Mm-hmm. He had the time machine built this whole time. He just didn't have the energy for it. Mm-hmm. So Marty couldn't travel back in time further than the time when the machine existed. Now, for them, it was a plot purpose because he has to get back. That's the title, Back to the Future. But this is a prevailing theory of time travel is that you can't travel back further than the technology to do so exists. Why would that be... That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I've never understood... Like, I've because heard that, because time's locked until the technology to unlock it exists. Like, you just... There's, there's a barrier. I'm going to do the, the, the smart thing and admit that I'm dumb and let us move on from this because there's, it doesn't make any sense to me. But I like it. I like it. Is what I'm saying. Though it wouldn't make Back to the Future 3 possible. No. Also, can I just say, how the fuck does he build that train machine? What, uh, the time circuits for the the engine? For the train? Yeah, how does he make a train into a time machine in 1885? I mean, he makes a fucking refrigerator. Oh, yes, he can make a refrigerator, so obviously he can make a time machine. Yeah, if he knows how to fucking... Look, if it's a matter of the principles, as long as you can do the physical things that it needs to do, the tech, the understanding of how to do it is is there. It's just how do you actually, like, you know, they could... The, the engine was shot, so they had to get the DeLorean up to 88 miles per hour, but once they did that, it would work. So... Doc then had to reinvent with 1885 technology all the circuitry and mechanics necessary to create a time machine in the first place. Then he has to get that time machine up to 88 miles an hour in 1885, which we see is very difficult in the events of Back to the Future 3. And then he has to time that exactly with a lightning strike to kick off the time circuits yeah like they did at the end of the first movie but he didn't do that he made those uh, but this time without the foreknowledge of when and where a lightning bolt is going to strike well no he changed I'm trying to remember the, the plot of it but he he figured out with um, to get the to get the speed out of the train and he didn't need he didn't there was something like Mr. Fusion Mr. Fusion had something to do with why they were able to not they didn't need a lightning storm in the third one to get back like he had the plutonium oh well well, Mr. Fusion was a fusion reactor that turned trash but he sent that back with Marty he didn't have that anymore yes he did yes he did because Marty at one point says to him, well, we don't need gas, Doc. We have Mr. Fusion. And Doc says, Marty, 
the fusion mr fusion is a is a nuclear reactor so we don't need the plutonium anymore but the engine runs on gasoline yeah, yeah. i'm not talking about how he sends the delorean forward i'm talking about how he makes his time machine after he sends marty back to 1985 he doesn't make it he wraps it up it's he doesn't make a new time machine the time machine that he and Clara show up with with their kids oh, the, right oh, after the, the DeLorean end. gets destroyed. Right. How did he make that in 1985? He didn't make it in 1985. Made I it mean, 1885. Well, we don't know how long it took him. It could have taken him eight more years, and then he came back to visit Marty at the la- at the second where the time vehicle right, was right. destroyed. Right, right. But he still made it in the 19th century. He probably could have, yeah. It, I'm but, but the point is, in order... How did he get a train? No, no. He got the train, right? But he had to get the train to travel through time the first time. The first time is the hard one. Right. After that, I mean, he could send it to 2015, get all the parts he needs, get a Mr. Fusion in there, get the hover conversion. You're saying how did he do it the first time? The first time. Meaning that in the 19th century, in order to get that train to go, Doc Brown had to get the train up to 88 miles an hour. And have but he knew it. But he did know how to do that by that point. Yeah, it was still very difficult. Sure, but, but even really then, can. he had to. Can you cut that off? That, yeah, that's the fucking Eddie Van Halen yeah. shit. But even then, he gets the train up to eighty-eight miles an hour. Even if he can do that reliably without too much difficulty, he still needs to be able to time that going eighty-eight miles an hour with a lightning strike to provide enough power to kick off the flux capacitor. Here's my theory on that, as long as we're taking time And that time was hard to it. do in the first movie, True. when they knew exactly when and where a lightning but bolt was here's the strike. thing. I don't think Doc Brown is going to go to the future, buy a Mr. Fusion, and just stick it on the back of his fucking DeLorean and call it a day. He probably reverse-engineered it to figure out how it works. And he probably has that knowledge in 1885. There's no way Doc Brown's going to get future that. technology and not study the shit out of it. He's gone, you know, from uh, when he drops Marty off at the end of the first movie to the end and the beginning of Back to the Future. I figure, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he goes through a lot. Anyway, let's... Uh, okay, so that was quite a derailing. Sort of. See, see with the train. All day... Oh, look what my... Friend did he's so funny. <laughs> God, Marty Marty is so dumb in this draft. He is pretty dumb. I, I just saw a line ahead accidentally and it's it's bad. Um Oh yeah, he's running down the street like a maniac. Exterior residential street, Marty night. Marty runs down this residential street, tired, breathless, exhausted. He leans against the mailbox to catch his breath and then notices the number on it. It's seven seven seven. He turns and looks at the house. My house! Indeed, it is Marty's house. Or rather, it will be. But he's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) The trees aren't quite as tall as those we saw earlier, and the curtains are different. There's a 1949 Chevy in the driveway, but it's the same house. You know, it's in the same place physically. Then the front door opens, and a woman opens the screen to let out a dog. Unless we're seeing things... It's Eileen, looking nearly identical to when we last saw her. So wait a minute, he fucking... Marty's mom... Marty lives in the house that his mom grew up in, in this draft? Mmm. That's real lame, my nigga. Oh, man. Creates more problems for the ending as well. Um, 
It's Eileen looking nearly identical to when we saw her last, save her different clothes and hairdo. And much youngerness. Marty, no, no, I think this is, I think this is Eileen's mom. Oh, it's her mom? I think it's Marty's uh, grandma. Grandma, whatever they call her earlier. Hmm. They were taken to the Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Marty is stunned. Mom! He runs toward the house. Exterior house. As Marty runs toward the house, the woman closes the door. Marty runs up and step, runs up the steps and pounds on the door. Mom, open up, it's me! The door opens. Indeed, the woman appears to be Eileen, but she doesn't recognize Marty. Mom, thank God. Thank God you're here in 1952. That makes sense. (laughs) Mom, thank God. Thank God you're here. I beg your pardon, young man? Mom, it's me, Marty. Don't you know your own son? I think you have the wrong house, dear. And I added the dear because this is reminding me so much of Flight of the Navigator. That scene where he runs back to his house. I don't remember. You don't remember Flight of the Navigator? I remember Flight of the Navigator. I don't remember that part. When he when he fucking goes I into the woods. I barely remember any of the movie, actually. When he goes to the woods and then nope, comes back eight it's years not gonna later. Help. Eight years later? Yeah, that's the whole plot of the movie is. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I gotta watch that movie. You gotta watch that movie again. It's a good yeah. movie. <gasps> um, I think you have the wrong house. Marty is very intense, sweating, breathing hard. Man, it's a good thing they don't have tasers. Yeah. No, no, it's not, it's not! A man in his mid-forties approaches the door. He's smoking a pipe and seems like a decent sort. You'll know. (laughs) You'll know, Marty. I think you'll have the wrong time. (laughs) Who's that, Stella? No, no, no. He seems like a decent sort. He's got a pipe, Trevor. Who's that, Stella? Just read him like a 50s dad. I don't want to read... I'm fucking... I was trying to read him like the guy in the movie. That actually plays his... What you doing out of the fucking streets like that? A kid, like, a kid your age? Yeah, he said, fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly Very what, 50s what of a streetcar named Desire was like. Yeah. You, you were going for Brando. No, I wasn't. I was going for... Because he says Stella like Brando says Stella in the movie. Stella! None of these damn kids jumped in front of my car! Mm. Anyway... Who's there, Stella? Stella? No! Don't tell me you're Stella! Tell me you're Eileen! Please, tell me you're Eileen! Through the door, we can see a girl of 17 coming down the staircase. She is very attractive. I'm Eileen. Marty locks eyes with his mother, aged 17. How old are you? 17. Oh, I'm out. See ya. Yeah, right. (laughs) What does one do when he meets his mother in such circumstances? Circumstances. Marty faints. A hand holds smelling salts and brings them under Marty's nose. Marty is lying on a couch. He stirs and opens his eyes. Marty's POV of Professor Brown as a young man. Shut the fuck up. Hmm, I did this weird. Yeah. He's well-dressed, less eccentric in manner, and seems much more self-confident than his older self. It's Brown who is administering the salts. Yeah, we got that. Wider angle, interior, living room. The room is the same as, as in Marty's house, but with different furniture in the same basic arrangement and a different color scheme. Professor? Professor Brown? You know me. Professor, your time machine works. It works. It sent me back in time. I'm from 1982. Shh. Brown isn't sure whether to believe him. Now the family approaches. Mr. Baines, his wife Stella, and daughter Eileen. Is he alright? The professor straightens up. He will be. Simple inebriation is all. 
The young man must have a rather low tolerance of alcohol. Much like me in this third movie. Something that runs in the family. You see, he's a second cousin of mine on my mother's side. Wow. Came quite a distance to visit me. His name's Lewis. Marty. Uh, Marty Lewis. I almost didn't recognize him. Haven't seen him in years. Young Eileen can't take her eyes off Marty. She's totally eye-banging him. Marty, too, is fascinated by her. It's a good thing he had your name circled in the phone book. I would have called the police. Oh, oh okay. It makes sense that he's there because okay. he had the thing the with paper, the paper. Yeah. Okay, okay. Now we got it. I, th- I thought they were just like, strange boy, we should maybe call Professor Brown from call down the, the road. Lo- call the local professor. <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought that's what happened. I did too. It's a good thing he had your name circled in the phone book. I would have called the police. Well, Mrs. Baines, Mr. Baines, thank you for your trouble. Both Marty and I apologize for the inconvenience, even though you just said his name was Lewis. Oh, wait, Marty Lewis. Both Marty and I apologize for the convenience. Inconvenience. Well, we'll get him home as good as new. Marty and Brown get ready to leave. Son, you watch yourself. Yes, sir. Eileen gives Marty his Porsche jacket, which was lying on a nearby chair. Oh, here's your jacket. Uh, thanks. What sort of material is this? I've never seen anything like it. It's polyester. Poly what? It's an experimental invention of mine. Sort of a rubberized silver foil. Uh, I just made up a name for it. Come on, Marty. We've got a lot to talk about. Like how you need to keep your goddamn mouth shut. Stum, stum. The professor goes out the front door. Marty is behind him. And just as he steps into the doorway, Eileen speaks up. Marty? Huh? Have we ever met before? Their eyes meet, but before Marty can answer, she starts sucking on his cock. <laughs> Which immediately disappears, because it no longer exists. Their eyes meet before Marty can answer. The professor's arm reaches over and yanks him away. Exterior, Victorian-style mansion, night. A fabulous Victorian mansion sits on a hill on the outskirts of town. On the mailbox is the name Brown, comma, Emmett. A beautiful 1937 Packard pulls up to the mansion. Packard's what he drives in the movie. And the flux capacitor sucks into this thing that looks like a condenser with a lens on it. Now Marty and the professor get out of the car. Marty stares at the incredible house, very impressed. Jeez, this is where you used to live, huh? You must have been rich. Must have been. Used to live? I do live here. Oh, yeah, well, there's a mall here now. I mean, there will be. A mall? Yeah, a shopping mall. You know, a shopping mall? Oh, I didn't see the line at the top, sorry. They're walking toward the front door. Shh. Don't tell me these things, Marty. I don't want to know about the future. They enter the house. Interior, living room, Marty, Brown, night. Light goes on in the large living room. Do you see it here? Marty looks around the room. The evidence of the professor's eccentricity is just beginning. Mechanical apparatus laying haphazardly on antique tables and furniture. There's something built out of the shell of an old vacuum cleaner and an old washing machine that might now be a still. No. Interior, another room, the study. 
again, a light goes on. Mostly, this is a laboratory, but there library. are some... Library. Oh, a library. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I was just projecting what I was expecting, I guess. Mostly, this is a library, but there are some models of some of the professor's ideas here, including the aeromobile that the mechanical and the mechanical home butler. Professor Brown looks at Marty. Again, Marty shakes his head. Now, Professor Brown unlocks the door at one end of the room and puts on a light. Good night, Sean. Marty approaches the doorway. This is it! Marty's POV of the time machine. Looking almost exactly as we saw it in 1982, except that it's a lot cleaner and shinier. Pause. What? So, I'm hoping that Brown is testing him. Yeah, he is. Because he's, he's pointing because, him into the room and saying, "Because otherwise, he's it. like, I wonder which of my machine, which of my yeah. inventions is a time machine." Which, by the way, could be a very easy prank to play if you're a local kid, be like, and you know a little bit about Doc Professor. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> I bet you we could just like make up an invention and like tell him that you know it, you know it killed my dog by accident. Your your Robo Butler killed my dog or whatever. Do you know what this means? It means that this. this- Damn thing doesn't work at all. <laughs> I really hope we get we get uh, to do the uh, the Ronald Reagan joke. I do love that joke. Um, Ronald Reagan loved it so much that yeah, that he reportedly made the uh, projectionist rewind it, rewind it. Yeah, which um, is not possible. It's it's. I mean, it's possible. It's, but it's possible. A pain in the fucking ass. It'd take fifteen minutes at least. Yeah, because you got to cut it. Yeah, that's right. You got Well, actually, back then, if, if he was doing a reel-to-reel, he would have just had to um, unthread the head of the projector and then wind the reel back. Would have been a lot easier on a reel-to-reel, come to think of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They probably weren't using a platter system at that point. Back to the lab. Um, Marty's POV of the time machine looking almost exactly as we saw it in 1982, except that it's a lot cleaner and shinier. On Marty and the Professor... You've convinced me that you must be who you say you are. No living human has ever seen this machine. But why? Why, even in my twilight years, would I remotely consider sending someone back in time? You didn't, Professor. It was an accident. You see what happened? No! Don't tell me! I don't want to know the future! My knowledge of future events, your mere presence here, could have devastating effects on the course of history. And altering history is a responsibility that I do not wish to hear, wish to bear. My immediate responsibility is to send you back to your own time. I can dig that. Pardon me? I, I can get behind... I, I agree with you. Ring. The phone rings. Marty answers it. Uh, Brown answers it in his study. Marty follows. Interior Brown study, Marty Brown. Marty examines the model of Brown's inventions while the professor talks. Hello? Yes, Charles, yes. I looked over the offer. It's it's very generous. It's very generous that they want me to make a major to make me a major stockholder, but I'm I'm just not interested in a position with this little Xerox Corporation. I assume that's what that is. X Rox. X Rox. That's probably the joke they were trying to do. Read on. What, what is oh okay. But I'm just not interested in a Position with this little X-Rox Corporation. Well, if it's pronounced Xerox, why don't they spell it with a Z? 
Look, I'm on the verge of a breakthrough with my power converter. So pause real quick. I think it's hilarious that when writing this in 1981, the biggest opportunity, like the biggest investment opportunity they could think that he would have missed out on was yeah. Xerox. Xerox. <laughs> yeah. Like. Hey, man. Well, you know what? It, there was a big deal. Xerox is still around. Yeah, but if you if you are like trying to sell like, oh, wow, look, in this moment, this guy could have become a future billionaire. Yeah. Xerox isn't who you pick. True. By the way, we got about 13 minutes. Okay. It'd be, uh, well, if you're going back to, not, to this time period, it'd be Intel. He would have, Intel or HP? Probably Intel. Intel would be the edgier well, one. Fuck all that Mac. Apple. Wasn't Apple around I then? said at this time period. No. Oh. Apple was started in 1977. Or they released their first computer in 1977. I'm being gay. I'm used to that. <clears throat> Your asshole is. Marty reacts with a pained expression. Well, any day now. Remember, folks, he's on the phone. And then I'll need people to work for Emmett Brown Industries. I've got a lot of ideas that are going to create a lot of jobs. Well, very well. Good night, Charles. Click. The X-Rocks Corporation. How are they going to sell a product if you can't even pronounce the name? Brown turns his attention back to Marty. Now, the time machine works. That's obvious. As I've always known, it's a question of power. <laughs> you gotta have power. Where did I... Will I get enough power to send a man 30 years through time? Can I read that again? No. Because you said, where did I, and then you stopped, and then you started a whole new sentence, is what it sounded like. All right. He's correcting, did I? I, know, what I, I know what he said. As I've always known, it's a question of power. Where did I... Will I get enough power to send a man 30 years through time? Marty's about to answer. The professor holds up his hands. No, wait! Don't tell me! Oh, on second thought, there may be some things you'll have to tell me. The power converter! Of course, the power converter! It works! Of course it works. What chemicals did we use? Marty hesitates and takes a deep breath. Well, Professor, are you sure you want me to tell you, you know, changing the course of history and all? Professor Brown would plainly like to know, but his sense of scientific responsibility gets the better of him. Blast it! No, I suppose you're right. You do know the proper chemical formula. Sure, and there won't be pro any problem getting some, getting it. Professor Brown goes to the bar and pours himself a brandy. Coke? How did you know? That's actually funny. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Just a guess. I figured kids would still be drinking Coke in 1982. He throws Marty a bottle. All right, well, it's very simple. Tomorrow, weather permitting, you'll get the chemicals and... Is that really, Doc? Really? You're talking all this stuff about he needs to get back to fucking... Back to where he came from in his dire, but you're going to wait weather permitting? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you don't mean that. You can't, you can't time travel without a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, we got to get you back to 19... Oh, drat, it's raining. Well, I guess we could play checkers all day. <laughs> Do they have checkers in your time? 
All right, it's, well, it's very simple. Tomorrow, weather permitting, you'll get the chemicals, and we'll wire the power converter to the time machine, point it at the sun, and send you home. Well, not exactly, Professor. You see, we don't point it at the sun. We don't? No. We need a nuclear reactor. <coughs> a nuclear reactor? How much energy do we need? One point twenty-one gigawatts! You know, we actually have music for that. <laughs> the 1.21 gigawatts music. Cut to close on Marty's microsec recorder, which is playing back the tape of the moments before Marty went through time. All of the voices on the tape are muffled except Marty's, and the gunshots sound fairly clear. Release the rope! It's 4,200 rads! Wider angle. Interior Brown study. Marty Brown. Professor Brown is seated at his desk. He fumbles with the recorder and shuts it off. 4,200 rads? Good God! No, you should read that like 1.21 gigawatts. 4,200 raids? Good God! Because <laughs> he gigawatts. mispronounces gigawatts. Gigawatts, right. It's actually spelled with a J. Yeah. Uh earlier when he says it. And it's spelled with a G on the soundtrack. Yeah, well, G is correct, and it's Giga. Yeah, but it'd be funny if they did with a J, because that's what you Marty is trying to twist open the bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> he can't. Twist-offs haven't been invented yet. That's the joke they did in the actual movie. There's still something I... I don't understand. Fascinating device. These loud bangs. Could those be some sort of malfunction in the time machine? Do you know what they are? Marty is, of course, quite uneasy. Oh, I wouldn't worry about him, Professor. I'll just let you die. Yeah, right. Again, we hear the words, we hear the 4,200 rads portion of the tape. Professor Brown shakes his head. 4,200 rads. That certainly can't be generated under controlled conditions in this day and age. That's just great. However, there's a lot I don't know about nuclear physics. So first thing in the morning, I'll go to the university and see what I can find out. I, for some reason, this is in yeah, it's, the dialogue. Yeah, it's or, bad. I want you to stay in the house. It's very important that you don't interfere in any way with the outside world. Got plenty of food, radio, books, magazines. I've even got one of these new television sets. There's plenty to do. Professor Brown looks at Marty, who is still trying to twist off the Coke battle. bottle. Brown stares incredulously. What are you doing? How do you open these? The professor takes the bottle from Marty and opens it with a bottle of... Oh, that's your job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the professor takes the bottle from Marty and opens it with a bottle opener. He hands it back, not sure what to think, but afraid to ask. It doesn't look good, does it, Professor? At the moment... It looks like you're stuck here. Yes, I'll go fuck my mom. <laughs> Interior, bedroom, Marty, day. Morning light streams in through a window. Marty is asleep on the bed, still in his clothes. He awakens. Don't think that's a word. And sighs as he realizes that his surroundings are real. It wasn't a dream, and he's stuck here. He turns on the cathedral radio by the bed. No sound. He hits it several times, not realizing that it simply has to warm up. Finally, there's music. Perry Como. If you call that music. How about The Wallflower by, or Dance With Me, Henry, by sure. Etta James? Marty twists the dial and picks up Dinah Shore, then Les Brown, Benny Goodman, swing tunes, 50s schmaltz. Nothing that even resembles rock and roll. I wonder why that is. 
Disgusted, Marty shuts it off. Interior kitchen, Marty, day. Marty takes an old-fashioned drip coffee pot out of a cabinet. He fumbles it and it breaks into its component parts. Marty tries to put it back together. Cut to Marty, pulling a bottle of milk out of the refrigerator. He removes the foil seal and tries to pour some into a glass. Nothing comes out. The cardboard stopper is still in it. What, what we're seeing here is a series of time displacement hijinks. Yeah. Uh, Marty tries to pull it out. He can't get the tab. Frustrated, he punches a hole in it with his finger. Cut to Marty, drinking a glass of milk, looking at the magazines and newspapers on the kitchen table. Time has a cover story. The Republicans, who will win in 52? With photos of the top contenders. Eisenhower. He looks at Newsweek, cover story. When will we have war with Russia this year? Or will we have war with Russia this year? Yes. No. (laughs) He tosses it aside. He tries the newspaper. Crime rate continues to rise. He shakes his head. Looks at the Saturday Evening Post, which has a picture of some high school students with the question, What's wrong with the younger generation? He laughs, turns it over, and sees on the back cover the famous Van Heusen shirt ad featuring Ronald Reagan. Jesus. The whole, this whole scene can be summed up in one sentence. Marty knows the future. Get it? It's the 50s. Yeah. The doorbell rings. Ding dong. Marty reacts with uncertainty. He's not sure what to do. They don't have doorbells in the 80s. <laughs> what is that noise? <laughs> Tinkerbell? Tink? <laughs> <laughs> It rings again. Marty gets up and cautiously walks to the front door. He stares at it, unable to make up his mind. The bell rings again. That's an exclamation point. Yeah. Finally, Marty opens it. It's Professor Brown who immediately points an accusing finger at him. Aha! You answered the door! You were ringing the doorbell! Marty takes a step back as the professor walks inside. I told you not to interfere with any of the events of this time. Nobody's supposed to see you here. What if I was a mailman or a salesman? What if you lost your keys? Then I would have figured out to get back in through events in the natural course of history. Wait, did I say that right? Then I would have figured out how then to I would get have back out in through events in the natural course of history. How is what they're missing, the word how. Then I would have figured out how to get back in through events in the natural course of history. Don't you understand? The fabric of history is very delicate. Anything you could do could have serious consequences. Hey, look, give me a break. All I did was answer the door. How's that going to change history? I don't know, but I don't want to take any chances. Now you stay here, don't do anything, don't answer the door, don't answer the phone, don't go outside. Do you understand? Marty is fed up with the lecture. Hey, get off my case, would you? I don't I didn't want to come here, and the only reason I'm here in the first place is because I was a nice guy helping you out. So don't tell me I gotta stay cooped up in here and veg out, because none of this was my fault. Let me put it on a level you can understand. You don't belong here. You don't know anything about this world. You don't know the customs. You don't know how to talk, how to act. You don't even know. You don't even look like you belong here. And if you walked out on that street, you wouldn't get a... Excuse me. You wouldn't get a hundred yards without being arrested. Then there would be a lot of questions, and where would we come up with the answers? Marty sighs. Okay, Professor. I get where you're coming from. The way I look, the way I'm dressed. I stick out like a sore thumb. A sore thumb? A sore thumb. I just started a little bit. I'm glad we finally got that straightened out. I'll see you tonight. He exits and slams the door behind him. Exterior, Professor Brown's house. Day. A window opens and Marty climbs out. Mm. Oh, I spit on my iPad. (laughs) 
and Marty climbs out. I, I thought it, I thought if I just said that line again, I would instantly find where it was. But now he's wearing some of the professor's clothes, and he's got his hair slicked back in Ronald Reagan style. He actually looks like a resident of 1952. Marty runs off down the hill toward town. La, da, 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 da. <laughs> so he's got the clothes. Didn't do anything to address any of the other shit that he said. <laughs> Exterior, business street, Marty, pedestrians, day. Marty walks down the sidewalk with the other pedestrians, trying to act like he belongs there. He's doing a good job of it, too, because no one gives him a second glance. Suddenly, a cop in front of him glances at Marty, then points an accusing finger at him. Hey, you, where do you think you're going? Panic fills Marty's face as the cop approaches him. Has he been har- Has he been had? No. The cop walks right past him and collars a tramp several yards behind Marty. Marty sighs relief. Whew. Marty bops down the street, full of confidence, full of excitement, full of the 80s. Meh. Full of curiosity. He's a tourist in another time, and he takes in the sights, which include an appliance store selling giant 8-inch televisions with a screen as big as life itself. Hold on, dude. I gotta piss. I'll just keep reading this for a while, shall I? A gas station selling gas at 18.9 cents a gallon. A travel agency advertising L.A. to New York in a mere 12 hours. A dance studio where through the window can be seen a mambo class and a big sign. Everybody's doing the mambo. A clothing store with a display of the latest fashions. A Studebaker showroom with the most modern car ever developed in the entire history of man. Exterior, a record store, Marty. Marty stares at the window displays at the record store, promoting America's top recording artists. Sinatra, fuck yes. Guy Cumbardo, I'm pretty sure that means Lombardo. Dinah Shore, Perry Como. Something is bothering Marty about this, so he goes in. Interior, record store, Marty. All right, I should probably have some music playing, shouldn't I? The number one single is prominently displayed on the counter. Papa Loves Mambo by Perry Como. Papa Loves Ma- Mambo. Yeah, you should find that on YouTube. I fucking thought I had that here, actually. Marty can't believe it. A clerk approaches him. Wait a minute. Who fucking Papa Loves Mambo? I want to get that now. Oh, I need to be the clerk. I'm sorry. That's uh, fine. I, I can be the clerk if you want to do that. All right. Can I help you, sir? This is the number one record? Yes, sir. I don't get it. How come there's no rock and roll? I beg your pardon? How this do you not know that, Marty? Really? He is an idiot in Hold this on. fucking movie. This is 1952. Uh, yes, sir. You never heard of rock and roll? No. Marty, big smile. Well, maybe it's time you did. Cut to... <laughs> now that we're out of the scene. Of course. Yeah. Cut to exterior pawn shop. A pawnbroker pulls a guitar out of the window along with the price tag. Five dollars. Interior pawn shop. Marty, pawnbrokers. The pawnbroker takes the guitar to the cash register. Marty follows him. That'll be five bucks. Marty pulls out his wallet and hands the man a 20. The pawnbroker rings it up, then takes a closer look at the bill. Hey, what kind of funny money is this? Huh? It says 1977 on it. What do you take me for, an idiot? He gives the bill back to Marty. Marty looks at it and realizes his mistake. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I did that. That's a joke. My, my friend had these printed up. See, that's his name there. Pointing to the name on the bill. Blumenthal. I guess that was the... Secretary. S- the Secretary of the Treasury at the time. 
The pawnbroker is eyeing Marty suspiciously. Marty checks his wallet. Gee, I don't seem to have anything on me. Hey, how about a watch? It's a genuine antique. Marty hands the man his watch. The broker examines it. Antique. They just came out with this watch last month. This one looks like it's been through a war. Up my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been doing a lot of traveling. All right, kid, you got a deal. The watch for the guitar. Cut to interior talent agent's office. Ooh. The amazing future boy. (laughs) (laughs) Marty is performing blue suede shoes for an agent in an office. Marty's really cooking, jumping around like Elvis, and really playing his heart out. He's good, too. The agent, 45, that's his name, sits stone-faced behind his messy desk, puffing on a big cigar. He calls him Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. The office has the same feeling as the agent. Cheap. The walls are covered with 8x10s of clients. Interior, outer office. The music can be heard coming from the frosted glass door with the words Midwest Talent Agency on it. Here in the outer office. They kick out a frog that doesn't do any singing and dancing despite the owner maintaining that it does. Faintly in the background, hello, my baby can be heard. (laughs) Also, why... Why is it the Midwest Talent Agency if they're in California? I don't know that they are in California, although the fact that Doc is in the Orpheum, the, the, clearly they hadn't invented Hill Valley yet, because the Orpheum is a real theater. It, it, there's lots of places called the Orpheum. But it's a movie theater. Yeah, but there's there's lots of... It's, it's a common But I mean, name. if it's Southern California, if you're living in Southern California and someone says, let's go to the Orpheum Theater, there's only one you're thinking of. Yeah, but there's one here, there's one in Tampa, it's just a common name. California! Southern California! California. They do know how to party. Yeah, but this one's run down and out of business in 1985. 81. It's run down and out of business now. It has been for a while. Anyway, it doesn't matter. No, it isn't. They play shows there. Oh, wait. I'm thinking of... uh, Doesn't matter. Hmm. Secretary Uh, listens. Midwest Talent Agency. On it here in the outer office. Secretary listens, but doesn't seem to care much for it. But Reginald Washington, 32, a black man with silk shirt, processed hair, and two-toned shoes is very interested. He puts his ear to the door and snaps his finger in time to the tune. He likes it. It's your cousin, Marion Barry. (laughs) And he wants a big-ass joint. Interior agent's office. Marty finishes the number. The agent is not impressed. Blue, blue, Bruce Wayne. Well, kid, it's interesting. I'll say that. It's not commercial. Not commercial? Mister, don't you know what you're listening to? This is rock and roll! And call it what you want, kid, but don't call it music, because it sure ain't that. You know what that guy would really say? Sounds like fucking nigger music to me. Yeah. <laughs> Who you calling spook, Pecklewood? Ooh. But you don't understand! No buts, kid. I've been in this business my whole life, and I know what people want. Smooth sound, that's what sells. Cosmo, I'm sorry, Como, Crosby, Dina Shore. Dina Shore. Dina Shore. Give me a melody and a nice slow tempo. Now beat it. The agent shoves Marty out the door. Interior, outer office. It's weird. Marty is stunned. In a moment, that is weird. Inner, outer office. Uh, in a moment, the door opens and his case is thrown out too. Oh. Reginald goes over to him. That sound I just heard coming through the door. That was like nothing I ever heard before. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. (laughs) I mean, you got something there, young man. Who are you? 
Reginald Washington's my name. I manage some of the local bands around town, and I think you got something we can promote all the way up to the top. Now, I got a real important cat coming in from New York, from a New York record company on Monday the 18th, and I want you to play that music for him. I think the time has come for a sound like that. Marty grins. Reginald takes a business card and writes the particulars on it. So, Marty has basically gone, oh man, I might, might be stuck here. I know. Mm -hmm. I'll go out and instantly start a career as the originator of rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not to change history or anything. No, even after Doc read him that old riot act. It's March 18th, noon. Be in my office. What's your name? Marty Marty Lewis. Marty Lewis. See you on the 18th, Marty Lewis. Clint Eastwood. (laughs) Reginald gives him the card and they shake hands. Marty is elated. And so is Reginald, because a white person touched him. Yeah. Marty is elated. Didn't say his line. Oh, Jesus. I was thinking that was him because it says brother. Yeah. Right on, brother. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I just saw right on, brother, and I thought it was Reginald going, right on, brother. (laughs) Not Marty going, right on, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Reginald had never heard that expression before. I think you're a little mixed up. There is absolutely no way that I could be your brother. I think brother probably was around like... I think the jazz I, yeah. guys were calling each yeah, other yeah. brother in the 30s. Calling each other cats and dogs. <laughs> they were. Reginald walks off. Marty looks at the card and smiles. Interior of Marty's bedroom at Brown's house. Night. Marty, dressed once again in his 1980s clothes, is practicing on the guitar in front of the mirror. We should wrap up soon, by the way. All right. Whenever you're ready. Ooh. He hears the door opening downstairs, so he quickly puts the guitar in the corner, messes up his hair, taking Reginald's business card off the, oh, off the bed, and sticks it in the pocket of his Porsche jacket, which is laying on a chair. Uh, I just want a decent spot to stop. Let's stop there. We can do it. Okay. I sincerely feel like Alan Silvestri is every bit as talented as John Williams, if not more. I am right there with you. I mean, this is some of the greatest film music ever fucking written. Yeah. And and every time, like, I hear Zemeckis talk about how he directed uh, Silvestri, he literally just said, make it sound like the biggest and most epic movie ever, because we only have so much money for the effects. And god damn it if he didn't if this doesn't sound like the most epic movie of all time. It's yeah. not. <laughs> but the soundtrack sounds like it is. Without being like like too self-important. Yeah. Because so many of like the epic movies are like boom. 
and they're like boom. I, I was gonna. Well, now they're like the fucking. You know, they have like weird horn noises and boom. Like Inception. Yeah. You know, I was watching a video recently. Um, that doesn't sound like you. Mm, uh, called "I Hate Superhero Movies." Mm. And they were talking about Marvel and the and the downfall of the Marvel, and they're like, quick. Hum the theme to Captain America, or Iron Man, or, and he was making the point that the, the Marvel movies have like lackluster music, because it doesn't stand out. It's not memorable in the way that, you know, Danny Elfman's Batman score was, or John Williams' Superman score. I mean, go ahead. I mean, I, I don't know that that's a, a strike against them. I think it's just a different tact oh, to yeah. take. Because the, uh, but the fucking, it, it's a good point. I never thought about like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't have the music from the Batman movies, the Christopher Nolan movies. The main theme is really two notes for about a minute and a half. It's and then it gets more intense, and it goes to and that's basically it. But it fucking works. Well, that noise they make when the fucking Joker shows up—that weird like. That weird, like, grinding noise. That's score. That's not a sound effect. Well, I mean, I, I can't do it now because I'm listening to other music and I... Yeah, it kind of throws you off a little bit. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't think I got the notes right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, there is a... Stop this real quick. Oh, I, I had it, but now it's gone. There's a... There is a Batman theme. It's... There's there yeah there are melodic parts but like that's fucking the the Tim Burton one yeah that's what I'm talking about Danny Elfman I'm talking yeah I was talking about the the Nolan one oh I said Tim Burton I I said Danny Elfman yeah from the start and I know I was saying that because I was making the comparison to the newer okay I gotcha but yeah um I gotta say that for the record this is easily the 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 most fun I've ever had doing this podcast is these last two because it's it's a double-edged sword doing your own stuff and holy shit where those fuck the star wars was so yeah now let me ask are you uh are you reading from the pdf i sent you or from the website a PDF. okay good so you know you're on page 45 i do know that awesome all right so let's uh, wrap this up because um oh, yeah, you know i didn't what? realize it was so late i gotta i still have to take a shower before i go to bed and i gotta be at work in eight hours or awake for work in eight hours you don't actually have to be there. You just have to be awake for it. Right. I have to be awake in eight hours so I can go to work, yeah. Okay. You need to go back. Are we back? <laughs> well, we will be back. We will be back uh, to do more of uh, this uh, particular uh, script. We're halfway through. We are? Just about, almost. Oh, good. 45 good. of 99? I mean, it's just shy of halfway. Well, you can't fuck with that, man. That's great. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, when I looked at that Star Wars script after we did the second one, it was like page two. Yeah, we'd done like 12 hours, and you're like, oh, God, we're on page 20. Yeah. It was it was literally torture. It wasn't actually 12 hours. It had just been five minutes. It felt minutes like 12 hours, exactly. <laughs> Um, so maybe uh, next week after Ted we'll wrap this up yeah maybe and then once this is done 
um, since we've got so much stuff now. Like, I, I discovered so much stuff. Yeah, we might be on superheroes for a little while, but... Tell everybody about that. We've got so much... Th- so, today, I, I discovered a bunch of uh, unproduced Superman and Batman and Superman and Batman scripts, um, some of which I didn't even know existed. There was a scrapped 2002 Superman and Batman movie called Asylum that I found the screenplay for. Oh, wow. Um, there was a J.J. Abrams penned Superman movie that came between the uh, Tim Burton movie and Superman Returns, which actually came out. That uh-huh. was called Superman Flyby, written by J.J. Abrams. Which oh, is, wow. That's, yeah, it's, I'm really excited to read that. Yeah, it, it probably won't suck. <laughs> um, I read a brief synopsis, and it sounds like it's got a lot of stupid in it. But J.J. Abrams wrote it, so it probably won't suck. Yeah. Um, and then there was the, the the 1983 Batman movie that never was that would have starred Tom Hanks. Really excited to have found that. You know, when you initially, the first time you said Tom Hanks, you told me about it a while ago. I don't know why I heard you say, I heard you say Tom Hanks, but for some reason I envisioned Tom Selleck. Well, I mean... He could, 80, 83 yeah. would have been a good pick did for that. Did he have a career then, though? Was he... When was... Tom did, Selleck? Yeah, Magnum yeah, P.I. Yeah, man. When did Magnum P.I. come out? Um, probably late 70s. I want to say 78, maybe. Mm-hmm. 82 at the latest. I'm guessing 86. Between, between 78 and 82. My bet's for 86. All right. Magnum P.I., 1980. Hmm. And it ran until 88. Yeah. I knew it was around in 86. All right, guys. I think that's it for us. I think uh, Sean needs to get out of here. I think uh, we all need to move on. And now, I haven't posted anything for a while. We haven't had anything. But I haven't even posted to iTunes our most recent couple. Um, the, the Ghostbusters one. Yeah. Um, maybe something else. Star Wars. Um, well, I'm not going to post those, as we discussed in the last episode. But uh, once we're done with Back to the Future... I'm going to start posting those again, um, and we'll be on a weekly basis, because we'll have four or five, so I've got five weeks. Okay, so you don't want me to put these up yet? Um, no. No, okay. I, I, I really do want to launch everything on iTunes first. All right. I mean, you've already got some up that I haven't posted on iTunes, and that's fine, but um, for these ones, if you could just send me the files. I can do that thing. All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week for part three of Back to the Future. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah. Say it again. All right, everybody. That's it for us this week. We'll see you next week for part three of our reading of Back to the Future. Guest was... Say goodbye. This podcast was created by Sean McBee and produced by Ferris Wheelhouse. (laughs) Fuck.